You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Thanks, Pastor. Okay, let's, um, let's get into God's Word here this morning. And uh, we're going to just continue right with our miracles. And uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 8. Uh, if you want to turn there in your Bible, uh, we're going to begin reading at uh, verse 43. Uh, this is the miracle in which uh, the woman has an issue of blood, and uh, she touches Jesus, and uh, she is healed. And um, so let's, um, let's pray, uh, and uh, let's get into it here, okay? Father, we love you today, and we're so grateful that your word comes alive to us and speaks uh, life-giving things uh, into our spirit. We ask you to speak to us today. Holy Spirit, come and, and make application in our lives. Uh, teach us and, and uh, change us today. And Father, we desperately need to somehow touch Jesus, each of us, and uh, help us to understand how we might be able to do that. Even as I am preaching, I pray that uh, there are things happening uh, in the hearts of your people and in the bodies of your people, God. I pray that, that you are doing amazing things even as we preach your word today. Um, let Life Church shine. Let Life Church bring life and, and, and preach life and be life to people. Um, open doors of opportunity for us. And use your miracles, Lord, to train us up. Use your miracles to increase our faith. Use your miracles to challenge us. Use your miracles to conform us more into the image of Christ. Do this for your glory. Let, let me decrease this morning. Um, I, I need not have any preeminence in this service, God. Uh, Jesus should have it all. And so I ask you that you let Jesus um, come alive through my voice today and uh, that uh, Jesus would get glory and honor in all that is being said and done here today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, I, I, really, I really enjoyed uh, preparing for this message today. And it's quite a simple little message that I want to bring to you out of this particular passage. Um, as we've said, each of these miracles we feel like has great purpose. Uh, there's great intentionality in these miracles in terms of how they can teach us and how they can speak to our lives. And um, I, 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 was really, uh, I was really grabbed by this miracle t- today. And uh, I, I want to share what it, what it spoke to me. And, uh, and hopefully it will be a blessing to you as well. I remember as a young boy, I was uh, what, what you would consider a wallflower. I was one of those, those children who was not very social and not uh, very gregarious. I, I would sit in the corner. I would be in the shadows. I didn't talk to people, and, and uh, I was quite timid and uh, those kinds of things. And I remember on occasion, uh, on various occasions growing up, feeling very uh, alone, not necessarily lonely, but alone. For instance, I could stand in the mall and be alone amongst all the people. I could go to a big sporting event and be around all the people and be close to people and yet be very alone. And um, I had an interesting experience uh, a few weeks ago. As many of you know, I uh, 
flew out to, to New Jersey, to pr- the Princeton campus, to do a wedding. And uh, as I flew into Newark and got off of the airplane and went into the airport, it was bustling with so many, many, many people. And uh, tried to find my way to, to the, the bus and, and uh, then to the train station and getting on the train and then, of course, taking the train uh, to Trenton and then over to Princeton and, and taking what they call the little ducky and uh, riding in that little little thing uh, up, up to the campus there. And all, in all of those experiences, I was, I was literally on occasion like being being moved by people, like people were pressing against me, you know, and, uh, and their bodies were moving, and, and I was finding myself being moved or being, being bumped in somewhere, being touched by other people, um, and, and moving along and, and having to, to trust some people that I did not know and ask them, you know, am I going in the right direction? Is this the right train? Is this where I want to go? What do I need to look for? Where do I need to be? And sometimes realizing that I had gone too far or had not gone far enough and having to to hurry to to catch up or having to turn around and backtrack and those kinds of things. But all of that mix of events getting me to that place where I would perform that wedding ceremony... um, in all of that, I, I felt very alone. I, all these people are around me, and I'm even having to engage some of them. I'm having to, to talk with some of them, and some of them are touching me. I don't like to be touched very much. You know, but they're touching me, and, and I'm touching them. Uh, and, and it, but in all of that, I am feeling alone. And, and I, I look around, and, and, and I, 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 I like to watch people, and I'm watching people, and, and I'm seeing different cultures and, and, and different subcultures of people coming and, and going, and I'm like, wow, this, this, I'm not home. You know? and, and, and I was standing on the, on the platform, and the train came, and, and, and all of these people got up, and they kind of rushed, and they, I felt them moving me. I knew it wasn't my train, but, but I was feeling moved. And, and so I had to, to kind of withdraw just a little bit. And people are coming around me to get on the train. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, it's going to be great. A lot of these people are going to be moving on. And I can, can kind of think and, and get it, get, you know, figure something out here. But as many or more people got off the trains before the people got on. And there was this chaos. And so it was just people, people, people everywhere. And I, I said it sort of, you know, I, I, I'm sure someone probably could have heard me, but... I was standing there, and I was like, I had bags on each shoulder, and I'm just like, I'm like, Dorothy, you're not in Kansas anymore, you know. It was, it was just that kind of, it was like, I am, I'm, I'm somewhere else, and I'm alone. And, and I think that we sometimes feel that way, uh, not, not because we choose to necessarily, but I think everybody has, has at one point in time felt as though they, they are alone, or they're out of sync, or they're, they're out of place, um, and, and, and I wonder, how, how is it that, that, you know, we look around and we, we see other people and, and they are in some ways like us, but they're in some ways not like us. And, and we start to feel things and we start to ask questions. And, and I think sometimes we see people and we see God moving in their lives and, and we, we can all of a sudden feel alone because we don't see God moving in our life. We don't see God doing something for us. We don't see God working in our lives. We see someone else get healed, but God hasn't healed us. You know, we see someone else enthusiastic and vibrant for God, but we don't feel that enthusiasm and that vibrancy for ourselves. You know, we can, we can see other people and we can see them worship and they have 
this sort of like unrestricted enthusiasm. And, 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 and we sit there and feel very restricted just because of the circumstances of our lives. And, and, and how is it that, that my friends keep hearing from God? And, 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 and that's something that's, that's just all the time in their lives. They hear from God, yet I seem to sometimes pray and it's a brass heaven and I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not getting an answer you know, uh, for what I am crying out to God for. And I see these people all around me and, and they seem so spiritual and, and, and their spirituality is so dynamic and I'm looking at them going, and I'm the pastor and I don't have that. You know, and, and sometimes I can feel very alone even in that. Others are getting healed. Others are getting blessed. Others are getting excited. Others are getting used by God. Others are winning souls. Others are prospering. Others seem to have this insatiable thirst for truth and truth and then this, this this desire that that is for his presence and and sometimes i sit there and think what is wrong with me why am i not like that why, why don't i have that why 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 am i not engaging god that way and so then other questions come into my mind things like like well why, where am i missing it how am i missing it how can i get what i see others getting how you ever felt like that you ever felt like you were just a face in the crowd and that if you disappeared it wouldn't matter it wouldn't make a difference it wouldn't mean anything to very many people you know, like you aren't really in anybody's life, maybe, or you're not needed, or you're not necessary, or you're just passing time, or taking up space, or those kind of... The devil will tell you things like that. The, the devil will speak those things in your life. Yet all the while, you're doing everything within your power, you know, to, to, to muster up this desire and this... This, this, this want for the revelation of God in your life and, and, and you're trying to, 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 to do things and move in such a way that you get into that, that place, if you will, uh, where it seems like all these other people already have attained. You know, it's like I'm always wanting to be like them. I'm always wanting to get to where they are. You know, sort of that grass on the other side kind of thing. And I think that this, this feeling, this feeling of, of, you know, just existing or just being, being another face in the crowd. I think for some people, for a lot of people maybe, that is a very lonely and a very helpless place to find oneself. And, uh, and I, I think probably most of us have been there more than once. More than once. It's tough to find yourself alone tough to find yourself feeling as though there's something wrong with me and and I can't have what someone else has or I can't get what someone else can get. And you say, Pastor, maybe you're overdoing it here. Well, maybe I am. But what David and I find is we find people coming in oftentimes and sitting down with us and saying, what's wrong with me? What's my problem? Because I'm feeling this and I, I'm going through this and why am I, like, warped? Why am I defective? And, and see, they're sitting there telling us that in their aloneness. But we've heard it from others, you know. We've heard it from others before them, like them, 
going through the same kind of life that they're going through, doing the same kinds of things that they're doing, having the same kinds of hopes and ambitions and desires in life that, that they do. But, but people are coming in because there's this, this sort of belief system out there that latches on to people or people latch on to it that, that says, hey, I must have a problem because I don't have it like other people do. And I don't, I, I'm not spiritual like other people in these sorts of things. Let's go to Luke and let's begin reading in verse 40. Um, let's see, chapter 8. Let's begin at verse 40. Jesus has just come back from the other side of the lake, having encountered the demoniac and uh, that amazing call to go to the Gentiles there and all of that. He comes back over. And when he does, this is what we find. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went. The people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Beautiful story. Absolutely beautiful story. And there's, there's some unique things about this. I'd like to unpack it just a little bit with you this morning. But I want to talk not so much about Jairus and his daughter. They, uh, they, they, they play a role in, in kind of setting the tone here for things with this woman. Uh, but I want to talk about the woman with the issue this morning. Um, and, and they're very, two very different people, Jairus and this woman. He's a, he's a man of, of prominence religiously. He's, he's very prominent. He, he's in the synagogue. You know, uh, he would probably be the one who would decide who would, who would preach and, and that sort of thing, what scripture would be read, what hymn would be sung or whatever. You know, he had, he had such, such eminence and such promise. He was wealthy. Uh, and this was his only daughter. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if any of my children were dying, I would be distraught. I would be beside myself. I would be doing everything I possibly could uh, to cry out to God and try to help them in any way that I could. But this is his only daughter. He doesn't have any other children um, to comfort himself with. His only daughter. And he knows she is dying. And so he comes immediately to Jesus. So there's urgency in Jairus at this point. All right? And Jesus understands that, it seems. And it would appear that Jesus experiences that urgency with him. And Jesus is going towards this, this situation. He, he, it moves him, and he is going to try uh, to, to do something for Jairus. 
But in the meantime, there is this woman who is lost in the crowd. She's nobody. She doesn't have his preeminence. She doesn't have his wealth, if you will. She doesn't, she doesn't have the privilege that Jairus has, all right? She's this woman who has suffered this, this issue uh, of blood. And so she's ceremonially unclean. She's at the other end of the religious spectrum. She can't just go out there and touch him like she did. And so here she is. And I, I appreciate Jairus. I appreciate the healing of his daughter and, and all of that miracle. But, but I want to focus in this morning and, and not just on this woman and, and her condition and her place or station in life, but I want to focus more into something else. Um, I think we can identify with her. You know, 12 years she is struggling with this issue of blood. She has spent all of her money on physicians, and nobody has been able to help her. This is hopelessness, all right? She, she, is, she does not know what to do. She has probably, in, in a lot of ways, given up. And she yet longs for something. She yet longs to be healed, to be touched in some way. And, and she hasn't completely abandoned all hope here. She, she's thinking, you know, if I could just find that one thing. But I'm sure that people know her situation in this community. They, they realize, they've watched her. They know what she's struggling with. She's got some shame here. And she's got, she's got a lot of questioning going on. What is, why me? Why can't I get healed? And Jesus is in the area and he's healing people. Maybe you don't identify that much with that. I do. I, I identify. When I, when I see God moving in other places, I wonder, why don't you move here? When I hear about miraculous things, I'm like, why don't you do it here? I love Life Church. I love being in this church. I love pastoring this church. I love this neighborhood. I love walking the streets out here. I love walking around. I love feeding the people on Friday nights at First Christian. I, I, I just love going around and, and, and all of that. But I pick up books about being missional and about you know this, this missional uprising, the, the missional upheaval that's going on in America and the churches that are getting out there on the street and really doing stuff. And I hear about neighborhoods being transformed and neighborhoods being changed. And I, drive, I, I purpose every Sunday morning. Actually, I purpose every day because I come to this building almost every day. I purpose every day to drive down one of the streets that I feel like is one of the most needy in the city of Sioux Falls to get here. I wouldn't have to do that, but I choose to do that. And the reason I choose to do that is because every morning I want my eyes open fresh to what God needs to do. And every day I see different people. And there is something that stirs inside of me, and it's like, God... Why not us? 
why, why won't you use us? Why won't you make a difference here? Why won't you do this here? And it really, it, it, it really creates angst in me. It really creates hurt in me sometimes to see that. And, and to drive by people that I've seen time and time again. And some of them I've gotten to know their names now because of, of feeding them at First Christian on a Friday evening. I actually know some of their names. Uh, I wasn't able to be there this, <coughs> excuse me, this past Friday because of a wedding. But the Friday before, I went and, and I was helping. And this lady came up to me and uh, uh, she shocked me. Because she's a little lady, and I had met her. I met her here at our outreach, and then I, I met her a couple of times at First Christian. And uh, this little Native American lady, and she came up to me, and she goes like this. And she put her arms out. And I reached out and gave her a big hug. And she said, just want you to know, I wasn't around last week, but I had a good reason for not being there. One of my kids on the res had an event, and I, I went back to see them, went back to watch them. And she didn't have to disclose that, you know. And I had no expectation of, of her explaining herself, but she wanted me to know. You know, we're buddies now. We're friends. And, and, and I, so I know her name now. So this isn't just empty faces. God is starting to put names on the faces of people in this neighborhood for me. And not only that, he's starting to tell their story in different ways. And I'm starting to see people who are very alone. And they've been struggling for many years. And there is stuff that they're carrying and shame that they're carrying. It wasn't even the fact that she shouldn't have been there that that is the biggest issue for me. It, it wasn't even that she had to really try hard and persevere to get through the crowd. But the thing that, I, I, that grips me with this passage here is a question that Jesus posed, and that is, who touched me? Who touched me? I think, I think that's it. I think when, when you look at this particular miracle, that's what you go to. That's, what, that's where you've got to land. It isn't on her socioeconomic status or her situation or the, the long, enduring struggle of all of her life or the fact that she moved outside of restraints and law and, 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 and all, protocol and all of that kind of stuff. All of that's important to the picture. So is the, the urgency for Jairus because this thing is going on that has gotten Jesus' attention and so he's focused that way. But in the midst of all of that, suddenly he throws out this question. Everybody's moving with him. He starts to move. Listen, this is Jesus and he's healing people. So when he moves, people move with him. They don't, they don't stay. They go with him wherever he's going. They follow him and they, they send word ahead that he's coming and people bring their sick out. These are, these are intense times and, 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 and immense stuff is happening all around, all right? And in the middle of all that, he sort of, it, it appears, sort of stops. Because there's this dialogue that's going, he says, all right, who touched me? It, it would appear that he's like looking around, possibly. He's trying to figure out who, who it is that, that touched him, it, it would appear to the people. I think he knew. I think he knew. He was confident he did. 
but he's, but he's in this, this, this mode. And so he's like, all right, let's see. All right. Who, who touched me? It's like when, when you know somebody, like one of the kids borrowed your tools because you only got three kids and three tools. But they borrow one. And they don't put it back. And you know which one it is. But you say, okay, who took my tools? And you're just waiting for them to tell you. You know, but you're waiting for them to tell you. waiting for them to take ownership of it, you know? It, this, this verse 45, 46 place right here, Jesus says, who touched me? And it's interesting that everybody denies that they touched him. And so Peter then, who always has something to say, says, well, master, duh, everybody's touching you. Everybody's around here. They're all closing in. They're trying to get to, you know, they're they're, they're pressing in on you, this multitude of people, and and you're asking who touched you? Can't you just see that going on? But Jesus says, yeah, but somebody touch me because power has left me. Something happened. Something that hadn't happened for 12 years happened. I I don't know about you, but this just makes faith. I feel faith come into me when I read this. This this was This was good for me this week. I hope it's good for you. Some of you have been praying for this neighborhood for years, this church for years, yourselves for years. I don't want to send anybody up here for for an expectation to only get knocked down here. That's not what I'm I'm trying to do here. But but I want you to understand something here. Our, Our focus upon this woman with this issue of blood... Uh, part of it is that this is an affliction of 12 long years, and now suddenly faith is at work, and Christ heals her. I don't think it was just that Jesus healed her. He's done that so many times. But I, I think you need to understand what happened here with this woman. This isn't, this isn't touched like, like if, if, if I walked over and put my hand on, on Nathan's shoulder, I, I, I would touch him. I, I, would, I would actually feel his shoulder. All right? He would feel the, the, the palm of my hand on his shoulder. He would know that someone was touching him. But that would be really a light touch. It, it might be a touch of comfort or a touch of affirmation or a point of reference. You know, this is Nathan. <laughs> Nothing wrong with any of that. That's fine. But, but this word used here for touch is not like that kind of touch. It's touch like apprehending permanently. So Jesus says here, he uses a word that says, someone has latched on to me. And they're not letting go. Now, 
for point of clarification, it says she touched his garment. Excuse me. This is the woman who's in shame. This is the woman who has stepped outside of protocol. This is the woman who is trying to be careful, yet is desperate as can be. And so she touches his garment. And he says, who touched me? Who apprehended me and is not letting go? <laughs> not just to feel. And this is where I want to get to with you and I today. Can can we not come into church, church, just to feel something? Can, can we be willing to apprehend Jesus? To, to grab a hold of him with the intent that we're not going to let go? See, for this woman, all, all the, he, he says, who touched me? And everybody else denies it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And a lot of Christians would respond that same way. And Peter's like, well, what do you mean who touched you? Every, everybody's touching you. He says, no, somebody apprehended me. Somebody grabbed a hold of me. A lot of people come into church and, and, and they sense the presence of the Lord. They feel, I feel the presence of the Lord here. This is awesome. Then why don't you change? Why doesn't it make a difference in your life? Why doesn't it turn you around? Why doesn't it stop you from living unholy and unrighteous decisions? If someone walks in and they go, oh, I'm so excited. I can't, can't wait to see what happens, to see what God does. Don't be a spectator. Don't, don't be just looking to see what is going on. And I, and I get it. We all love to feel good. We all love to have that, that good feeling when we come in to the house of the Lord. But, but, but a lot of times we see people who are just walking away in the experience, but they're just as lonely, they're just as broken, they're, they're just as jealous or angry or depressed or wicked or miserable or sick as when they came in. And, and I really believe in my heart that if we can learn from this precious little woman there's something more for us, and that is to apprehend him, to, to take hold of Jesus. It, it, it connotes this sort of like uh, death grip, if you will, or something. You know, it's like I'm holding on. I, this is like a pit bull locking on to something. You know, I'm not going to let go. I can get shaken all day, but I am, n when, no matter how hard it gets, I'm holding on. I'm grabbing hold without the intention of ever letting go. If we do that, that means we are looking to Jesus as no quick fix here in our lives. We're looking to him as he is the key to help us to live this life as we should. I'm staying. It is staying power. It says I'm going to believe and trust and hold on to Jesus regardless of what's going on around me even though everyone else will deny it. I'm going to grab a hold. I'm going to apprehend. And so it says, I, I'm, I'm fastening myself there in that place. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me.
For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But that is a double yoke. It is not a single yoke. It is not Jesus coming along and saying, okay, here, put this yoke on you and and carry this yoke around and let it limit you in some way. No, he's saying, look, I want you to come here beside me. I have a place for you with me. I I want you to be yoked with me. And as we are yoked together, I will teach you. I, I, will, I will be there with you and for you. And I'll give you revelation. I'll give you strength. I'll give you courage. I'll give you faith. I'll, I'll give you hope. I'll impart to you and I'll give to you. Because you are yoked with me. You, you walk with me. You run with me. You, we do this thing together. And what this says is that Jesus is no longer on the palette of options. He's not just another possibility. Well, I'll go to church and just see. Maybe, maybe Jesus will come through for me. Maybe he won't, but I'll, I'll keep my other options open. I'll keep the doors open, so to speak. I'll make sure I got other possibilities just in case he lets me down. No, I'm going to grab a hold of Jesus because this woman knows that there's been nothing else. She tried the physicians. And I would dare say that not all of those physicians were physicians as you and I know them today. But she probably tried all kinds of things. Out of desperation, we do crazy stuff sometimes. All the people who were there, oh, they could say, oh, I was there, I saw it. Yeah, I saw Jesus, I saw the crowd. I was part of the crowd. I was a witness of the things that took place. I can testify of what transpired. Yeah, I, I felt it. I felt something. It felt good. It was a good service. It got me thinking. We're not here to get you thinking. We want, we want you to think. Absolutely. Don't check your brains at the door here. We want you to study to show yourself approved. But our goal isn't to just get you thinking. That's what all the billboards out there on the street are trying to do. And I just abhor the one that's right over here. It says, you don't believe in God? Join the club. I believe that Jesus wants to impart to us his truth and his revelation. But it isn't just to make you happy or just to make you feel good. It is to change you. This woman left there changed. When she grabbed a hold of him that day, something happened. And he knew it. I mean, he, he Jesus felt it. I was reading from a pastor, and, and he, um, he shared a, a dream and a vision that he got about hell. And uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit different, and I'm not saying it's, it's right or wrong. I'm just, I, I, I would like to read you kind of what he got as his sort of little, little imagery and vision of hell. This is how he describes it. He says, In it I saw a multitude who appeared like rats on a ledge, They were huddled together in a desperate attempt at preservation. They were so closely grouped that they swayed together like wheat standing in a field. 
The whole scene was engulfed in darkness and the atmosphere was that of utter despair. Yet what stirred me was not the faceless throngs huddled together. It was not the tragic consequences that awaited them. No, it was when the vision, the perspective zoomed in from a wide shot of the multitude to a single solitary face within the crowd. It wasn't the face of a murderer or of a madman, but that of a young girl whose eyes were filled with the horror of being within the confines of the masses, yet realizing that she was all alone. Eyes of desperation and a look of total hopelessness and unbelief as to what was transpiring. Her life was probably a life of just fitting in with the crowd, just going with the flow, just not making waves, not hurting anyone, not expecting to get hurt, minding her own business. Now here's the interesting thing. He says, now the crowd that she had embraced was the crowd dragging her towards an eternal demise. And he says, when I wake up and I go out on the streets, he says, I still look for that face when I walk by the places where God is not honored. Every morning when I drive down that street to get here. That is what I see. Faces of people who are alone in this crowd. And I know Sioux Falls is not a huge crowd. We're not uh, a Chicago or a New York or even a Trenton, New Jersey. But folks, it's right out here all around us. There are faces of people who need to touch Jesus. Someone needs to fasten themselves on the Lord. <laughs> I, I want to I close here. Um, there's a passage in Second Chronicles that says the eyes of the Lord are moving about to and fro, searching, looking. And I believe that God is doing that here, right here in, in, in this neighborhood, in Pettigrew Heights, as well as over by my house and by your houses, wherever they are. And some of you live in smaller communities out from the city a little ways. But wherever you are, the eyes of the Lord are there. They're, they're searching. And I wonder if somehow we could let God open our eyes to see as he sees. Because I believe there are people out there who are alone and they don't have this answer. But I believe Jesus would walk by. And I believe he would touch them. See, Jesus came. Not, not just so people could feel good, not, not just so they could be touched, but so that they could touch him, so that, that they could apprehend him, that, that in that rescue they could commit to him, and, and that the, the goal of Jesus isn't just to save people. It is to bring them into eternal life that he may live with them and that they may dwell with him forever. It's a much bigger thing 
than just getting saved. So I'm going to ask God, as I pray in the days ahead, to wake us up. Awaken us to see, to have eyes to see. And to see into the crowd that lonely, empty face of that person. And then ask God, what is it that I might do to touch that person so that they may be touched by you and they may touch you?